Would you turn in your Bible, please, to Joshua, the fourth chapter? Joshua chapter 4, beginning with verse 19. <clears throat> and the people came out of the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month and encamped in Gilgal in the east border of Jericho. And those twelve stones which they took out of the Jordan did Joshua set up in Gilgal. And he spoke unto the children of Israel, saying, When your children shall ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What mean these stones? Then ye shall let your children know, saying, Israel came over this Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan from before you until you were passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up from before us until we were gone over. That all the people of the earth might know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, that ye might fear the Lord your God forever. The tumult and the shouting dies. The captains and the kings depart. Still stands thine ancient sacrifice, an humble and a contrite heart. Lord God of hosts, be with us yet, lest we forget, lest we forget. When Joshua took command of the armies of Israel, after Moses' death, God told Joshua to cross the Jordan River and to put the priests at the front to take the Ark of the Covenant and go down into the Jordan and as they went down the waters would recede and go backward and they could go back go across on dry land as a memorial and a remembrance of that Joshua had some men take up great twelve great stones out of the Jordan River and go across to Gilgal and erect those stones as a monument or a memorial. And then he had the priests take 12 of the stones that were in the bottom of the river and erect them as a memorial there. So that in the days to come, when the children of Israel would say, what mean these stones? They could say, I'm glad you asked me. They are reminders of what God has done. Now these stones are not unlike the stones we set up as grave markers. We, out to, we go out to the cemetery and we find there the grave markers we have placed in honor of our loved ones that we might remember their lives. That marked here is the spot where someone who was very, very dear to us and who had made a great investment in our lives has been deposited in Mother Earth until God shall bring them forth in the resurrection. I think of going and standing by Lincoln's grave in Springfield or Washington's grave at Mount Vernon where the sarcophagus and the coffins can be seen through those barred, that little cave-like bars. I think of standing in Westminster Abbey and seeing the grave marker of George Frederick Handel, the one who composed the Hallelujah Chorus and the Great Messiah. I think of going to Northfield, Massachusetts and standing on Round Top and standing at that little knoll where D.L. Moody and his wife are buried and reading that grave marker, D.L. Moody, 1837-1899, to 
He that doeth the will of God abideth forever. I think of the revival meeting I was in Trenton, Ohio, most recently in March. Coming back late in the night after the evening service, I got on Highway 71 to a road that pointed to Newcastle, Kentucky, about 2 o'clock in the morning. My dad is buried at Newcastle. And so I took that little branch off of 71. I went over to the cemetery at Newcastle. It was closed and I had to park my car outside and walked back through the pine trees and the cedars and the moon shining down on those stones. And I stood by my dad's grave for a little while to just say, thank you, Lord, for the heritage that is mine. What mean these stones? These stones are stones of remembrance. They are stones of reasoning. They are stones of reckoning. They are stones of remedy. When the children of Israel said, what mean these stones that are erected at Gilgal? Joshua and those who followed in his train could easily say, those are stones of remembrance. Memory is a wonderful, wonderful thing. Roy Smith said, no man has ever been independent. Every man has leaned upon the past. Every liberty we enjoy has been brought, <clears throat> bought at the cost of martyr's blood. Every achievement of the race has been made at the cost of the incredible toil. There is not a privilege nor an opportunity that modern society grants to us that is not the product of other man's labors. We drink every day from the wells we have not dug. We warm by fires we have not kindled. We live by liberties we have not won. We are protected by institutions we have not set up. Our churches are built upon the rocks that have been put in place by the martyrs of ages past. Our government rests upon the foundation cemented in the place by the blood of soldiers who tracked their way barefoot through icy battlefields or over burning sands. Our courts are reared upon the bodies of those who died for freedom. No man liveth unto himself. All the past is invested in him. And so these stones are stones of remembrance. The men who crossed the Jordan River, who had the faith to take the Ark of the Covenant and go down, they would never have been able to cross the Jordan on dry land had it not been for the faith of those men who obeyed God and walked down into the Jordan waters and the waters began to recede. I think of George Washington at Valley Forge. We would not have America as we know it had it not been for George Washington <clears throat> and his army who were willing to go without proper clothes, without proper shoes in the cold winter and George Washington knelt in the snow and prayed for this nation under God. I think of the men at the Constitution Convention. <clears throat> they were having a row and a rubble and an argument. And one of the statesmen stood up and said, Sirs, we cannot build this great nation without prayer. Let's adjourn the meeting for a prayer meeting. And they did that and came back and put together the greatest constitution this world has ever known. I think of Abraham Lincoln at Gettysburg when he said this nation under God, a government of the people, by the people, for the people, 
shall not perish from the earth. I think of the Revolutionary War and the war between the states. And I think of the trail of tears when 17,000 Cherokee Indians were marched from their place in North Carolina out to Oklahoma, many of them dying on the way. I think of World War I and the minute line in France that was drawn. I think of World War II with its Pearl Harbor, its Corregidor, its Normandy, its Battle of the Bulge, its Okinawa, its Iwo Jima. I think of Korea and the over 50,000 of our men and women who died in the battles of that South Korean nation. I think of Vietnam, an unpopular war, a war that America was not united about. And when our men came back from Vietnam, some of them were, in, were shamed. Some of them were not treated with dignity. But all of that because of an investment in this great nation. I think of El Salvador and Grenada and the freedom fighters and the Contra in Nicaragua and those in Panama who are even now trying to hold the line in Central America, lest communism take root there and come further north through Mexico and then into Texas. All of these are reminders of this nation and the liberties that we enjoy and the blood, sweat, and tears that has been invested that we might enjoy these liberties. I think of the spiritual men of our past, Stephen dying for his faith while he looked up and said, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. And I think of Saul of Tarsus who stood by and heard Stephen's testimony and a few days later went to Damascus to kill Christians and on the way heard over and over again in his mind those words of Stephen, I see Jesus, I see Jesus. And Saul yielded his life to the Lord Jesus. And all through those years that followed until the Appian Way outside of Rome when Paul finished his course and went to be with the Lord. I think of the Roman Colosseum where our forebears, Christians, were thrown to the wild animals because they dared to stand for Christ. I think of the Spanish Inquisition where those who believed like we believe were hauled before religious councils and ordered to be put to death because they were willing to stand for truth and spiritual power. I think of Martin Luther who said at his trial, here I stand, God being my helper, I can do nothing else. I think of John Knox, who cried out, Give me Scotland or I die. I think of Christopher Columbus leaving the old world with a vision of something that was yet to come. And Malkin Miller painted the story in these words. Behind him lay the gray Azores, behind the gates of Hercules, before him not the ghost of shores, before him only shoreless seas. The good mate said, Now must we pray, for lo, the very stars are gone. Brave Admiral, speak, what shall we say? If we sight naught but seas at dawn, you shall say at break of day, Sail on, sail on and on. And men and women and folks through the ages have said, Sail on, keep going. I think of the forebears of this church. Just a handful meeting a few years ago, 30, 34, 35 years ago not having anything, mortgaging some of their homes in order to build a building. And they stood firm. And they are our forebears of the work that we're involved in now. Yes, these are stones of remembrance. 
But these are also stones of reasoning. Why did they do that? Why did they do that? They did it because of the cost. The cost if they just stand still. You think of the defeat by the English that Washington would have had had he just stood still. You think of the wilderness wanderings that would have been Joshua's lot had he stood on the other side of the Jordan River and said, no, there's too much faith involved to go down in that river. We're just going to stand back here where we've been comfortable. We know what we're doing. We've had 40 years of experience of wandering around in the wilderness. We'll not go down. But because of the cost, if they stood still, they launched out. Sometimes we have to get our back up against the wall before we can need do what we really need to do. I was in Memphis some years ago, and Rudy Fitz and I were coming from a revival meeting, and we passed around a curve in the city in Memphis, and we saw, we had just gotten there, we saw a car turn over, and it was, it had landed on, it had thrown the occupant out, and it had landed on the man that was driving the car. We were the first to get there, and the man was groaning in terrible pain. The car was on him. Rudy Fitz and I, Rudy about the same size I am, not very strong, but God gave us unusual energy. And because our backs to the wall, there was nothing else to do, we lifted that car and pulled that man from under the car. I'm saying to you, these are stones, not only of remembrance, but stones of reckoning. Stones when we think through and reasoning, why did they do what they do? Why did these men set up those stones at Gilgal? Why do we erect monuments out in the cemetery? Why did we have this memorial service today? It is to remind us of the terrible curse of going backward. These who have gone forward in years gone by leave behind us footprints in the sands of time, reminding us that we can make our mark, that we can go forward if we'll do it. They also remind us and they are, they cause us to reason through why they did it. Those stones at Gilgal were a, a replica or a symbol pointing to Calvary. Because God delivered his people Israel out of the wilderness wanderings into the land of Canaan. And he did that so he could put his people in the promised land so that years and years from then there could come from the seed of the woman that one who was to be the Messiah, the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings. And also these stones are stones of reckoning. What is my relation to the past? I stood at Northfield. I looked at the grave of D.L. Moody and I said, Lord, do it again. I took my shoes off my feet. I asked God to do something in my own life. I must build on their courage, their conviction, their contrition, a humility to depend upon God. And last of all, these are stones of remedy. These stones reminded Israel that they had to depend upon the Lord God. There was nothing else they could do. They could not have crossed the river. It was at flood stage. They could not have gone over to, to the battle of Jericho and Ai and Bethel and conquered all of that land of promise, the land flowing with milk and honey, had it not been for what God did. God did a marvelous thing in opening the Jordan River that they could go through on dry land. 
What mean these stones? What mean these standards in our lives? What mean this cross? And the cross and the arrow you see above the baptistry pointing heavenward? What does all of this mean? It points us to Jesus, the Lamb of God who was slain from the foundation of the world. The reason we meet Sunday after Sunday, the reason we sing these great hymns, the reason the choir sings, the reason we give an invitation, what mean all of these standards? What mean these memorials? What mean these stones? They are pointers. They are pointing us to Jesus who gave his life that we might not have to die in sin. Ladies and gentlemen, sin is a terrible thing. Sin has taken its toll in the life of every man, woman, boy, and girl within the sound of my voice. There is no one who has escaped the tyranny of sin. The reason people die is because sin entered the world. The reason for sickness is because sin entered the world. The reason for judgment is because sin entered the world. And the reason we are not all that God wants us to be is because of sin. S-I-N. The middle letter is the I. There is no sin except the I in sin. Your sin. My sin. It was our sin that put Jesus on the cross. He who knew no sin became sin for us. And until we come to a point where we say, Lord, I want your life. I want you. I want your blood. I want the faith of the Lord Jesus to be applied to me. And I here and now repent of sin and put my faith in Christ and invite you into my heart. When we do that, Jesus comes in. And then he gives hope. He gives purpose. He gives pardon. He gives peace. He gives provision. And he opens the gates to heaven. And he says, you have a new home. You have a new life. What mean these stones? They are all pointers to Calvary. The Lord Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And if we receive him, he forgives and cleanses. May we pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed for just a moment. Now some of you have sat there wondering what time the service would get over. Some of you have sat there with your mind on a thousand other things. I want to call you for just a moment to give attention to Calvary. Jesus died for your sins. If you've been saved, thank Him. Praise Him. On this memorial weekend, would you say, Thank you, Lord, that the cross, the symbols of our faith, point to what Jesus did when He died on the cross. They point to an empty grave. They point to a life of victory. They point to heaven and the hope of the believer. If you have never been saved, would you just this moment open your heart to Christ and invite Him into your life? Our Father, we pray that someone would receive the message of Christ and would turn to Jesus today. We pray in His name. Amen. May we stand, please. Just as I am, come every soul by sin oppressed, there's mercy with the Lord. And He will surely give you rest by trusting in His Word. The invitation today is an invitation to receive Christ as your personal Savior. To say, Lord, I'm tired of going on as a sinner. I'm tired of going on away from God. I want to ask cleansing for my sin. 
I want to invite Jesus to come into my heart and be my personal Savior and Lord. If you'll do that, He'll save you today. He'll be real to you. He'll be your personal friend, your personal Savior, your personal Lord. You've known him about Him before as a Savior, as Jesus, as the Son of God, but you've never known Him as a personal Savior. Would you let Him be your personal friend today, invite Him into your heart? You may be here and maybe before the service today, sometime this week, you've asked Christ to come into your heart, but you have not confessed Him openly. I want to invite you to do that today. Maybe you've been saved, but you have not been baptized. You need to come and confess Christ in baptism. Maybe you've been saved, but you're out of the will of God. And you need to come in recommitment of your life to Christ. Would you do it as we begin to sing? What's the number, brother? 312. Come every soul by sin oppressed. Would you come today?